1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 18. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you, and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul said at the end of his letter, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Lord God, we thank you for that reminder that we need this letter, that it is to be read out loud in your church and spoken about. And so, Lord, we come this evening as we gather um, around this part of your word and we come with humility, we come knowing that we need it. We know that we need to hear from you and uh, this is what you are saying to us tonight. Please open our hearts to hear what you have to say and please give us your grace to respond uh, with thankfulness and with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's, it's always good when you start to prepare to speak on uh, one of the passages of the Bible and you look and you see that the heading the translators have given it in uh, the English translations is final instructions. It kind of gives the impression that they haven't really got a clue uh, what links these things together. Um, But there is a theme and the theme, well the hint to the theme is found in that, uh, which is hard to see in the English, that the instructions are all in the plural The you of verse 12, we ask you, brothers, is a plural you. He's speaking to the church, in other words. It's you, the church. You, the brothers and sisters. So this is all about the character of, not so much the individual Christian, but of the authentic community of Jesus Christ. The church. How we live together. Of course, Paul is writing to a specific church, the church of Thessalonica, um, back in the first century. These people had uh, been worshipping idols, they'd been pagans, uh, they hadn't believed in the God of the Bible, and then they'd heard the gospel from Paul. They, they were convicted by the Holy Spirit that they were sinners, and they were under God's judgment, but that the good news was that Jesus Christ had come to die in their place for their sins, that he took God's wrath on himself as their substitute. 
And that as they trust in him by faith, they are saved. That they are given new life in him. The, chapter 1 puts it as like this. It says that they turn from idols to worship the true and living God. These are Christian people that Paul is speaking to. But Paul has, in the last half of this letter, been teaching us about how the saved people of God, how the church of Jesus Christ, are to live in the light of one specific event in history, the return of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord. What does an authentic community of Jesus look like and behave like as they get ready for the day of Jesus' return? That's the connecting theme. Now, if you love alliteration, uh, this is the sermon outline for you. Um, If you hate it, I'm sorry about that. Uh, You can see on the service sheet there are five Ps. This is the preacher's dream. Five Ps. We are to be a community of peace, of patience, of prayer and praise, and of prophecy. That's where we're going to go on our way through. First of all, verse 11 to 13, and a bit later on, 23 to 24, we're to be a community of peace. They may have picked up in our passage as it's being read, that word peace, it's there in verse 13 at the start. Paul says, be at peace among yourselves. And it's near the end in verse 23 where Paul speaks of God as the God of peace. The authentic community of Christ is to be one of peace because God is the God of peace. And this part of the letter, it hints that there may be an area of conflict within the Thessalonian church. And the issue is that of a struggle with those in authority in the church. Now we all recognise our struggle with authority, don't we? We often feel that we are at war with our parents or our teachers or our husbands or our bosses or our government even. But it seems that for this church of young believers, they are finding themselves in conflict with their church leaders, those over them in the Lord, as Paul puts it here. Paul instructs us that we are to seek peace in our community by honouring, in love, our church leadership. We see it here in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. It's very easy to be critical of leadership, isn't it? It's very easy to forget all that they do to serve us. Note that Paul speaks here of what these leaders do. They labour among you, they work for you, they admonish you. And it may be that that last one is the problem. To admonish is to correct and gently rebuke someone who needs it. Now we're not so keen on leaders when they do that. But that's the job of leadership, whether you're a parent or you're a teacher or you're a boss or you're a church leader, to admonish when needed. 
Now, how are the church to respond? Well, they are to respect them. That is to take note, to to recognise them, to appreciate them. But more than that, they are to esteem them very highly in love. This isn't just do what they say grudgingly. It's love them with deep affection. Now this is a big challenge for most of us. Not least because we live in the middle of a culture where it is growing deeply suspicious of leadership and feels increasingly freer to be critical of it. Now, leaders are as much sinners as anyone else, of course, and do need accountability for that. There's a place to speak to our leaders if we have questions, and if there's misconduct, there's a place to raise it appropriately, certainly. Paul's not advocating turning a blind eye to evil things in leadership, not at all. In some of the horrendous abuses that we've seen recently in our news, wicked leadership in the church should have been called out much sooner. But the leaders that Paul speaks of here aren't like that. They're not abusing their position of leadership for personal gain. They're not fleecing the flock. These are godly leaders who are working hard for them. And Paul would have our attitude towards godly leaders and their work be one of deep appreciation and deep affection. The highest esteem in love, Paul says. So I must ask myself this question. When I speak about my church leaders to others, do I honour them or do I rubbish them? Do I speak generously, charitably of them? Or am I negative and critical? See, public criticism of church leaders and their work brings conflict to churches. But public support brings peace. See, I have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to either be an agent for conflict or an agent for peace. I can work towards one or the other. And God wants peace for his people. See, we've discovered peace with God through Jesus Christ. And we then work for peace with each other. And we do so particularly, Paul says, in love by honouring those he has placed over us. In this way, we strive to be a community of peace. Now on to the second attribute of Christ's community, a community of patience, verse 14 and verse 15. It's not just negative attitudes towards leaders uh, that can bring conflict to a church community. Uh, Let's be honest, some people are just really hard work, aren't they? If you know anyone uh, like that, maybe someone comes to mind. I think everyone does. Uh, It's a good, good idea, though, I guess, if you don't know anyone who is hard work, then it's probably you who's hard work. Patience is what's required. Be patient with them all, Paul says at the end of verse 14. He's aware that there are some in every church who place what we might call special demands on the church. We're a community of sinners, all of us, 
We come saved by grace with many flaws, many sins that are yet to be put to death, and all kinds of personal issues. Now, many of these issues, of course, are caused by our own selfishness, but some are not our fault, things like sicknesses that cause so much uh, trauma to us, or emotional damage from past hurt. See, Paul says, as you, as you live among a community of people with all this stuff going on, you're not to look to oust people from the church who we find hard work. We're to find a way to live in peace together. And to do that, what you really need is patience. We must patiently do what we can to keep each other in community. But just notice two things in these verses. First of all, this isn't just the leaders are to do this. The leaders, of course, will lead the way in this. But this is something that all believers are to do for each other. It's the brothers and sisters who do this. Second, that this is not a one-size-fits-all approach. We must consider each person's situation and speak into it with patience according to what they need. It's what we might call being pastorally sensitive towards each other. Listen to verse 14 and 15. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Paul begins and mentions those who are likely to cause, uh, more likely perhaps than others, to cause conflict in a church. And we are to admonish them, verse 14. We're to warn the lazy and the disruptive. They're sinning, and so we must warn them in love, admonish them. Equally, verse 15, we should put a stop to those who seek revenge when they've been wronged, helping them to do good to each other. We should challenge the angry among us. And then there are those who are not necessarily sinning, but who are struggling, the disheartened, the weak. Now these kinds of people, they may cause others to get frustrated or feel burdened, but that should not be so. Paul says, encourage them, help them, help them to keep going with the Lord. See, here is Paul the pastor. You see how he encourages an appropriate response, appropriate approach to each of the various circumstances? See, the lazy, they shouldn't be encouraged. They need admonishment. But the faint-hearted, well, they don't need admonishment. They need encouragement. But what do we all need? We all need patience. Change is not quick. And so we must patiently seek the good of others, bearing with each other, really loving each other. Warn, admonish, encourage, help, forgive, do good, and be patient with everyone. Just as God has treated us in his grace. See, the community of Christ should be marked by that same patience.
So a community of peace, a community of patience, and then thirdly, a community of prayer and praise, verse 16 to 18. So here in verse 16 and 18, and then, and then a bit later in 19 to 22, which we'll come to in a moment, what Paul has in mind is the practice of the Christian community as they gather together. Paul believes that there are certain things that when we come together, we must make sure that we do together. This is the practice of the early church. These things are corporate. They happen when we gather. Obviously, we're unable to gather in person at the moment. We're doing our best to do this at the moment through Zoom. But these things that Paul picks out are praise, prayer, and prophecy. Praise and prayer, first of all. Verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now the Thessalonians are certainly facing all kinds of troubles. Daily life for them meant the ordinary life hardship that everyone faces, but also real persecution and the possibility of death even for their faith. And though we're not under the same intensity as they were perhaps, it is the case for many of us that life is pretty hard at the moment. The corporate gathering of the church is what we need most. What that gathering helps us to do is not to look into ourselves at our problems, but to look upwards together, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus with joy in both praise and prayer. We rejoice, we praise God in song, just as we've been doing this evening. And we pray to him together. We put our requests before him with thanksgiving for what God has already done for us. By nature, many of us are are very prone, of course, to fixating on the problems that we have. And we struggle to remember the blessings that we have. But as the church gathers together, we fix our eyes together on the blessings that we have in Christ. Those prayers of our hearts, that we, things that we really need, that we bring before the Lord, go with thanksgiving for what he has already done. And when are we to do these things? We're to do them always. We're to do them without ceasing in all circumstances. This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. To the community of Christ, it prays And it praises together as they gather. And they don't let anything stop them or get in the way. All the time, without ceasing, and in all circumstances. This is what we need. And we find, don't we, what a blessing it is to be in a community like that. Now on to our final element a community of prophecy, verse 19 to 22. Let me read verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. See, it's possible for us to quench the spirit 
Now this word quench here, it means to use that, that big red canister that, that you use to block open doors even though you're not supposed to. It's to put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. See, as the church gathers, God wants to work powerfully among us by his Holy Spirit. As he wants to transform us, he wants to sanctify us, to make us holy by the purifying fire of the Spirit. And here, Paul says, perhaps quite surprisingly, a church can put out the flames. Now, that sounds pretty serious, it is. How do we do that? Well, Paul says we do that by despising prophecy. Now, this needs some clarification, doesn't it? Of course, um, those of us who've been around Christianity for a while will know that Christians sometimes disagree about the nature of prophecy. Now, thankfully for me, Roger um, preached on this last year in our series in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, and he did a much better job and a much longer job than I did in explaining uh, what prophecy uh, is when Paul talks about it in these verses. I'd encourage you to go and listen to that again uh, for a fuller explanation than I can give now. Essentially, there are two levels of prophecy in the way the Bible speaks about them. The first is, is the prophecy of the Word of God, prophecy in the Word of God. This is, if you like, kind of capital P prophecy. This is the words that we have recorded for us in the Scriptures. You'll find it in lots of places in both the Old Testament and the New Testament in books like Isaiah or Daniel or the Gospels or Revelation. The prophets spoke about the future as God revealed it to them. They were especially pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. But the main purpose of prophecy was to call people to repentance, to get ready for his coming. See, this prophecy, capital P, like the rest of the Bible, is the very word of God. It is infallible. It is totally true and right. And therefore, to reject any of the words of God's prophets in the Scriptures is to reject God himself. But there is in the Scriptures a second level of prophecy mentioned. And that's what Paul is referring to here. We might call it small p prophecy. Now, Roger defined this kind of prophecy like this. Spirit reveals application of God's word into real life. Let me say that again. This is what this is talking about. Spirit reveals application of God's word into real life. See, like the first kind, it, it too will call people to repent and get ready for the coming of Jesus. But the main difference is that this kind of prophecy is fallible. It may or may not be accurate, which is why it must be weighed and tested against God's infallible word in the Bible. Test everything, Paul says, about this level of prophecy. Despising this prophecy, though, quenches the spirit. Now, we need to explore that a little bit. What is, but the way to do that, I think, is to look at the work of the Spirit in this letter uh, of 1 Thessalonians. Now in chapter 1 we heard that the role of the Spirit had been to convict the Thessalonians of their sin and of their need for salvation and the truth that that salvation was found in Jesus Christ. And then look at chapter 4 verse 8 
In chapter 4, Paul's giving instructions, calling people to repent of their sexual immorality, to be sanctified, made holy by God in this area. And at the end of those instructions in verse 8, he says this, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What is the work of the Spirit? The Spirit is seeking to sanctify the Lord's people. He wants to make them holy. His fire is a purifying fire. And the Spirit does that through God's word preached, as we're doing now, and being applied by each other into our lives. Now let me give you an example of what that might look like. A member of uh, the church here, he's all fictional by the way, uh, let's call him Steve. Steve comes up to you and he says, Dave, listen, you mentioned in the small group that you've been staying up too late. And when we've talked about sin recently, you've, you've hinted at struggling with, with a particular sin again and again. You haven't said exactly what's going on, but, but I've been wondering whether that's a struggle with pornography. And look, I've been praying for you. And then last week we heard this sermon on 1 Thessalonians 4, where, which mentioned that, that sexual immorality is not God's desire for Christian people. And well, I thought of you. Listen, I love you. And I felt that I should say to you that if this is what's going on in your life, it needs to change. It's not what God wants for you. He wants your holiness in this area, and so do I. Now, can I help you with this? See, that's speaking prophetically. It's applying God's word into a real-life, specific situation so that that person, or indeed the whole church, may repent and be sanctified. Now let me give you another example. The Zoom breakout room after the service. You're reflecting on the service together, talking about the sermon, and your sister in Christ, let's call her Davina, fictional again, uh, she's moaning a lot. She's grumbling about this, she's grumbling about that. I mean, this, is, this is hypothetical, okay? I'm sure this never really happens, uh, but just imagine uh, that it does. You say, and you say this. You say, listen, Davina. I know, I get that all things aren't happening the way that we want them to all the time. I get that. But listen, I say this in love. We've just heard this verse. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It seems to me that that verse might be really important for you to grab hold of at the moment. Can you find things to rejoice in? Are you praying about what concerns you? And this isn't easy to say, but can I suggest that you're not giving thanks very much at this moment? These two examples are are the kind of thing Paul is talking about here when he speaks of prophecy. The speaking of God's word into specific situations, applying it into the lives of your brothers and sisters. 
Now, if someone comes to you like that, you've got a choice to make, haven't you? You can treat it with contempt. You can despise it. Who are you to challenge me? It's not like you're perfect, is it? I'm sure for a lot of us, that would be our natural heart reaction. But Paul says, if you do that, if you react like that, what you're doing is you're extinguishing the fire of the Holy Spirit who is seeking to transform you. Instead, you are to test it. You can say, hang on a minute, are they right? Is that what the Bible says? Okay, yes it is. And I need to go and sort this out. Now Paul knows that when people prophesy in this way, although the scriptures they speak of are true, they won't always be right about the situation that they're speaking about. They're not infallible. They may be completely or maybe just partially wrong. And therefore we're to test what's been said, we're to weigh it up, we're to think on it. We're to weigh it against the scriptures and what the scriptures say. We're to hold on to what's right, what's good, and we're to reject what isn't, what's evil. But we should never despise prophecy and just dismiss it out of hand like that. We shouldn't reject these things outright. We're to think on these things. Don't put out the Spirit's fire, the Spirit who longs to make us pure and holy by rejecting prophecy. This applying for applying of God's word to each other in the situations that we're in is what we really need. If we are to abstain from every form of evil, as Paul says, we need to do this kind of prophesying for each other. God's desire is that we may be a community of prophecy, a community of people who lovingly, prayerfully, gently but firmly bring the word of God to bear into each other's lives. And that will change us. It will make us holy. Well, that's enough for this evening. It's been a packed passage. Brothers and sisters, we need to be ever more the authentic community of Jesus Christ as we wait for his return living in peace together, bearing with one another with great patience, praising and praying together at all times and in all things, lovingly prophesying to each other and receiving that prophecy with a discerning mind but ultimately a thankful heart. When we do this, the Lord does his sanctifying work among us. Just look at how Paul prays at the end of this letter here, and how it mirrors the prayer that, Paul, that, that Scott read earlier on in, at the end of chapter 3, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. By his grace, may this be the kind of community that we become. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we, as we look at a passage like this, which challenges us in so many different areas and, and gives us so much to think about, we, we pray, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit's work in our own hearts. Lord, we don't want to quench the Spirit. We don't want to stop your work in us. We want to become holy and pure in your sight. We want to be ready for the day that Jesus returns. And so, Father, help us by your Spirit to think on these things, to talk about these things with each other, that you may work in us for your glory's sake. We thank you, Lord God, that your desire is that we are sanctified completely, that we are blameless. And we thank you that your commitment means that you will do it, that you are faithful to your people. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.